The Steve Lobby Agency presents The Christian Publishing Show, a podcast for writers who want to advance Christ's kingdom using the written word. Here's your host, Thomas Umstadt Jr. One of the most brilliant marketers in the Old Testament was Queen Esther. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about what she has to teach us about marketing and building a platform. And this can change the way you market. It may change the way you think about marketing. So this solo episode is not an episode you want to miss. But first, let's talk a little bit about Esther's story. This is a book in the Bible. If you want to read about it more, I encourage you to look it up. It's easy to remember because the book is titled Esther. So it's very straightforward. Uh, But Esther was a queen of Persia, and she was in a tough marketing position. Esther had presumably fallen out of favor with a king. He hadn't asked for her in over 30 days. Her people had been scheduled for execution. The Jews were scheduled for execution in the following year. And she had a big ask because the king's law that allowed for the Jews to be killed could not be overturned. It was a law of the Medes and the Persians, and those could not be revoked. And so even asking it made it complicated because she would be asking for a way for her people to be protected without overdoing or undoing the law that allowed her people to be executed. Uh, And then uh, the third challenge, it was that even approaching the king was dangerous. If he didn't extend his scepter to her, uh, she would be executed. And so what does she do? Uh, When she goes before the king, uh, he smiles upon her. So perhaps she wasn't as out of favor as she thought she was. And he asks, you know, what do you want up to half my kingdom? And then here's her answer. Does she say, oh, please save my people? She doesn't. She invites the king to a banquet in his honor. And then at that banquet, does she then ask, please save my people? No, she invites him to a second banquet. It's not until the second banquet is complete that she finally makes her ask. So uh, why does this story matter for authors? Well, many authors are like Queen Esther. They are not in favor with readers, especially beginning authors. They don't have uh, thousands and thousands of of readers who know who they are and anticipating their next book and want to read their next book. They may have zero readers waiting for their next book because they are unknown. Or even if they've had some success, they don't have tens of thousands of people on their mailing list. And it's a big ask to ask a stranger to buy your book. If they don't know who you are, why should they buy your book? So let's look at the book of uh, Esther to learn how to fix these problems. So the first takeaway is that timing changes everything. There's an old saying that you must strike while the iron is hot. As a blacksmith, success comes in shaping metal. It's more about timing than it is about effort. You can strike cold iron as hard as you want, and it won't make any difference. You have to strike the iron while it is hot, and then you can shape it into the form that you want. So a perfect example of this in the book of Esther, Haman, the bad guy, if he had asked to have Mordecai executed one day earlier, he probably would have had his request fulfilled. Because who is Mordecai, right? He's this nobody. The king may or may not even know who he is or remember who he is, 
But because Haman waited that night, the king had, you know, he was, you know, having trouble sleeping. He couldn't, uh, he stayed up really late and he had, read me the story of my life. That's my favorite topic. So they're reading him the story of his life. He comes across this account of Mordecai saving his life or turning in these assassins. The king asks, you know, what was done for Mordecai? And the servant says, you know, nothing was done for Mordecai. And so the very next day, the day Haman came in to ask for Mordecai to be executed, the king is asking, how can Mordecai be honored? Timing changes everything. And if we look at Haman, he's trying to divine the best time for his pogrom by casting lots, right? He's just hoping and thinking that timing is up to the gods and that if you can find out the right time, uh, the universe will make your life easier. Esther, on the other hand, made her own good timing. And I think this is a really key difference. Esther took action while Haman was passive. And uh, there are times when we, as followers of Christ, must take action. It's really easy to make laziness look like holiness well, or fear to look like holiness. Or we are sitting inactive, not making a difference, not out there in the arena and we uh, aren't feeling ashamed about that. We're like, oh, I'm just waiting on God's timing. It's like, what did Esther to do to make good timing? She made it herself. <laughs> good timing can be manufactured. This is why Esther invited the king to a banquet instead of making her real request right away. And at that banquet, she invited the king to another banquet. <laughs> so he was ready to give her whatever she asked for, up to half his kingdom by the end because of her making this timing herself. Now, she asked people to fast for her. Uh, interestingly, in the book of Esther, there's no mention of God and uh, no mention of prayer uh, in the Protestant version of the book of Esther. The Catholic version actually does have uh, prayer in it. The Apocrypha has an extended edition of the book of Esther. And if any of you are curious, there are bonus chapters in the Catholic version. But that is neither here nor there. Um, the reality, though, is that she asked uh, more, her uncle and the other Jews in Susa to fast for her, uh, and then she took action to make the timing uh, go well. well. Which leads us to our second takeaway, and that is to throw a banquet. To think like Esther, you must change your marketing mindset and realize fundamentally that it is not about you. <laughs> People don't care about you. The internet sent me and they asked me to tell you, no offense, but we don't care about you. The internet doesn't care about you. And um, no one other than your family and maybe some of your friends care about you in that kind of internet sense. And so if what you're doing is talking about yourself, no one cares, unless you're a celebrity already. But no one got to be a celebrity by, by talking about themselves, or very few people. And the exceptions in this case prove the rule. Uh, so commit to seeing marketing as an act of service rather than an act of self-promotion. Throw the banquet for your readers before you ask them to buy your book. So how do you throw a banquet for your readers? Well, I mean, you could throw them a literal banquet at your launch party. In fact, I did this. I had a big launch party for my book, Courtship in Crisis. We had a big dance floor assembled and lots of single people were there dancing. And it was a lot of fun. We were playing 1950s music and I literally threw a banquet 
for my readers. And I can confirm it does work. I sold a lot of books at that launch party. In fact, I spent basically the entire launch party signing books rather than dancing. Jesus told us that if we want to have followers, we must be a servant. Matthew 20, 26. If you want to be a leader, if you want people to follow you, you must be a servant. And the better that you serve, the more people who are going to want to follow you. So I recommend, and the first thing I recommend is that you take a sticky note and write in big Sharpie, how can I bless my followers today and put it on your computer to help you change your mindset. So you're not talking about you and your book all the time. Instead, you're talking about things that will bless them. Uh, The second thing I recommend that you do is to ask your followers, wherever they follow you currently, how you can better serve them. If you don't know who your followers are, how can you know how to serve them? How can you know how to bless them? If you are writing to a certain market, you need to be spending time with people in that market so you can know what their hopes and fears are. You know how they use language. Even if you're writing a novel, you need to be able to write a novel that resonates with them, and that means spending time with them listening. As my dad always says, God gave you two ears and one mouth. That means I get to speak. No, no, I'm joking. Although he did, he did say that jokingly. But there is a lot to be said about listening. You have two ears, you have two eyes. Use them to listen to your readers and to look at what your readers have to say about your book. Uh, the third thing that I recommend is to write your book for your audience rather than trying to find an audience for your book. This is a huge mindset shift and one that successful authors, especially successful indie authors, are using to make massive amounts of money and grow incredibly large platforms that are very lucrative. It's just thinking more like a magazine where you're creating new content for the pre-existing group of followers that you have rather than every book trying to go out and find a new group of readers for that book. Publishers that are switching to this mindset are doing very well. And and this is not something that I've invented. Uh, Seth Godin has been advocating this for years (laughs) to find um, books for your audience rather than trying to find an audience for your book. And this is also where uh, really strong author brands are built. So when Stephen King writes a book, he's trying to write a book for his existing followers. He already knows he has an audience and he's writing the kind of book that he knows they want to read, which is why each one of his books are so successful. Uh, So uh, another way to do this is to start kind of going through the various aspects of your platform and asking, how can I bless my followers on this platform? So let's say you're a blogger. How can I bless my blog followers? Well, uh, review and recommend similar books, right? And you're like, but those books are my competitors. Why would I, if I'm writing uh, Christian Amish uh, or if I'm writing contemporary romance, why would I want to recommend other authors of contemporary romance? Well, be like Santa in The Miracle on 34th Street. (laughs) He became so popular because he would recommend stores that weren't Macy's if they had a better deal or if they had the exact thing that the child was looking for. You want to be that trusted source. You want to be Santa Claus in this relationship where people trust you as a curator for good books on your topic, whether it's good books on your nonfiction topic or good novels that are related to your novel. Because your big readers, the readers who are reading lots of books, are wanting to read more books than you are able to write. And so they're going to go somewhere for those recommendations 
why not to you, right? Why not get their book recommendations from you? If they're used to coming to you for book recommendations, then when you let them know, hey, I have another book out, they're going to be that much more ready to buy your next book because they've been already eating at your banquet of book recommendations. And also, it forces you to read books that are related to your book, which is a key to success. One of the big separations I see between struggling authors and successful authors is how many books in their own genre they read. You need to understand the tropes. You need to understand what the readers are expecting. If you're writing nonfiction, you need to know what other people are saying so that you can know where your voice fits. And it doesn't mean you have to agree with everything, but it does mean that you need to understand uh, where your topic fits in the conversation. So with my book about courtship, my foreword was written by Deborah Folletta, who arguably is my biggest competitor. (laughs) She wrote the book True Love Dates, and it's on a very similar topic. And yet, I'd read her book, I'd liked her book, and I didn't see her as a competitor. Because while we agreed on a lot of things, our approaches were different, our books were different, and our topics were different enough for us to work together. And I had her on my radio show. I did a lot of things to promote her as well. I, I made a Deborah Folletta banquet for my audience and introduced Deborah to my audience, and she introduced me to hers. And we both benefited from that arrangement. Uh, another thing that you can do with your blog to bless your blog readers is to answer questions. If, if people are sending you questions about your book, if you wrote a novel, if they're sending you questions about your topic, if you're writing nonfiction, Answer those questions, not just in the email to that person, but on your blog so that other people who are afraid to email you that question can get their questions answered as well. So let's talk about email. How can you bless your email subscribers? Uh, Well, one way to do it is to give them free short stories. If you write fiction, this can be a really great way of building up anticipation for an upcoming book. If you have some short stories with those same characters in that same story world, and it's it's a wonderful gift, a way of saying thank you for being on my email list. Uh, Another way you can bless your subscribers and provide for them a banquet is discounts, right? Let them know about exclusive discounts or be the first to know about when your book is on sale. It's a great banquet that you can throw uh, for your subscribers. And another thing you can do, review and recommend similar books. (laughs) So the same goes. Remember, you want to be the trusted source for book reviews and uh, what you put on your blog can also go out in your email list. In fact, I know a lot of authors have uh, their blog connected with uh, their, their MailChimp or their ConvertKit and new blog posts go out as emails automatically. So really, they just write blog posts and they get a two-for-one. That's very easy to set up. So you don't have to think of your blog as something separate from your email, especially if you're writing fiction. Uh, it, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, if you're writing nonfiction and you're blogging a lot, you're writing a lot of blog posts, you may not want an email to go out for each one of those posts. And maybe your email is just like a Um, highlights, right? Here are the five posts from this week, and you may have a few paragraphs in the most popular post. But, you know, the Steve Lobby blog is a a five-day-a-week blog, and a lot of people subscribe to that by email. So, uh, in fact, that's often they think they're getting an email newsletter, when in reality, they're just having a blog post emailed to them automatically. So we're not staying up until 2 a.m. every night to send that email. That's done by robots. (laughs) It's done by MailChimp. Um, Now, let's talk about social media. You know that I'm not big on social media, but that doesn't mean that you can't still throw a banquet for your followers on social media. If you are going to spend time on social media, do it in a way that blesses your followers. Do it in a way that edifies the people who follow you. 
That's how you're going to get more people to follow you. And probably the number one thing people are looking for is levity, laughter. They're wanting to smile. They're wanting a break from the stress of the world. And so if you can provide that for them, funny people on social media get far more followers than any other category, really, um, and because people want that laughter. They want that humor. So find the humor in your topic. If it fits, right? Not every topic can be funny, uh, but that's one way to throw a banquet. You throw a banquet of humor. Uh, another way is to pray for your followers. I know Mary DeMuth does this uh, very powerfully. She will pray for her followers. She'll write prayers on um, her Facebook page. She'll write prayers on her Twitter and um, now she has a whole podcast of praying because it was so popular. People loved her prayers so much. She now has Pray Every Day, which is an incredibly popular prayer podcast that grew out of her asking her her followers what they wanted and then giving them uh, what they asked for and what they were wanting is prayer. And if you're struggling, you know what's more powerful than prayer, right? Having somebody pray for you uh, is really powerful. And there's a lot of people who are struggling and they're looking for encouragement. And powerful encouragement is often personal encouragement. So often we are so eager to give generic encouragement. But when you tell a group of people you can do this, that's not nearly as powerful as you telling a specific person, Joe, you can do this. Right? That's That particular encouragement is what people are so desperate for. And we are so eager to go to one-to-many forms of communication when it's the one-to-one communication that's often so life-changing. Think about when your life has been changed. Has it been changed through one-to-many, or has it been changed through one-to-one? Most likely, it's a mix, but I would, if you're like me, most of the real key breakthroughs in your life came in one-on-one or one-on-few contexts where it wasn't in a big room or on a website full of lots and lots of people. And this is where social media is moving, by the way. If you look at young people and how they use social media, they're not on Facebook. They're not on Twitter. They're using uh, social networks that are primarily one-to-one. So Snapchat is primarily one-to-one, where one person messages another person. And that is a very powerful uh, tool. And it's a really powerful tool for ideas to spread. Because one-to-one-to-one-to-one, it can, sh- it can spread through a whole community, uh, but it has to spread personally. And so the trend is personalization. People are expecting a more personalized interaction on social media. And again, I will say social media is optional. You can use email and blogging and podcasting very well without using social media, but there's a lot to be said about that personalized interaction. And what else can you do to throw a banquet on social media? Review similar books. (laughs) You'll notice a theme here. Reviewing and recommending similar books uh, work in pretty much every context. You can do it on your podcast. You can do it in your blog. You can do it on Facebook. You can do it on Twitter. And it is beneficial in every instance, especially when it's an honest review or an honest recommendation of a book you've actually read. There are people who game this system and all they do is review books all the time. And these book review blogs, I pull up their stats on Alexa and in almost every instance, Those blogs get so little visits that no one reads those blog posts or not a measurable number. So their ranking on Alexa is N.A. There's so few visitors that they don't even have a score. And it's because they stopped reviewing books to benefit their readers and they started reviewing books just to get free books. And that poisoned the well. There are still popular book review blogs, but most of them are not very popular. And Uh, It's very easy to waste a lot of time on blog tours that go to blogs that no one reads. 
one popular blog can reach more people than 10,000 unpopular blogs. And that is not a misspeaking on my, my part. 10,000 unpopular blogs can be equal to one popular blog. That's how much the differential is between popular blogs and not popular blogs in the blog sphere. And so it really matters what kinds of blogs are reviewing your book. Um, but I'm, I'm getting a little bit off my topic here. So uh, how else can you help people on social media? Just help them. Answering their questions. Ask them how you can help them. Ask them what they are wanting and needing from you. And I would like to put this into practice. So here on the Christian Publishing Show, we've now been doing the show for um, several months. We're at episode 38. And I would like you to tell me how I can better serve you with this podcast. How can I throw you a better banquet? And you can just leave a comment uh, and you know, let me know which episodes have you enjoyed? Which episodes have you not enjoyed? Do you like the solo shows, which um, are more work for me to put together? Or do you like uh, the interviews uh, better? Uh, or do you like the current mix? Uh, what topics would you like me to cover in the future? There, is there a burning question uh, or, or an area that you would like me to explore more. I've already. I was at a OCW conference, and somebody said you covered indie uh, pros and cons of indie, and you covered the pros and cons of traditional, but you didn't cover the pros and cons of a small publisher. And I was like, "You're right. I need to do an episode on that, uh, and I will soon. Um, I will do an episode on that." But let me know other topics that you want me to cover. Also, it would help me a lot if you let me know where you are on your publishing journey. Are you published? Or are you just getting started? This will help me uh, pick topics and find guests that speak to where you are on the journey. And then finally, where are you headed? Are you planning to go traditional? Are you planning to be independently published? And again, that will if, if I find out that most of you are planning to be traditionally published, that's going to change my topic mix. If I find out that most of you are indie, that will change my topic mix. So do let me know how I can throw a better banquet uh, for you. I really will be going through these comments and using them to, to give me direction uh, for the next season uh, of the show. So I, I, I need you to give me that feedback. And if you don't give me that feedback and others give me feedback and you don't like the direction the show takes, it's your fault because you didn't let me know what you wanted. And, and every single one of you listening to this show, your feedback is very valuable. Now, one final thought, and that is uh, to be prayerful and creative as you walk this journey, because every book has a hook for a unique banquet that's unique to that book. Throwing a 1950s-style dance was a unique technique that worked for my book because my book was about traditional dating. It wouldn't work for every book. But if, as you're creative, you'll find those unique creative ways of throwing a banquet for your followers, of blessing and serving your followers. And the better you do that, the more followers you have, the bigger platform you'll have, and the more you'll change the world. Uh, our sponsor today is the Christian Writers Institute. As uh, usual in the course of the day is The Art of Persuasion by yours truly. This is a course that I recently added to the Institute. And persuasion is one of the most important things we do as Christians and as authors. Uh, persuasion is not only part of the selling process, but also part of the uh, the heart of good writing. <laughs> so it's really key um, to be persuasive 
in your writing. And yet, persuasion is hard to do well and easy to do poorly. So in this course, I break down how to do it well and how to avoid the mistakes that people often make with their persuasion. And as always, you can save 10% at checkout with the coupon code PODCAST, which doesn't just work for this. It works for all of the courses on the Christian Writers Institute. We also have a link in the show notes that will help you activate that coupon code automatically. Thank you for listening to The Christian Publishing Show. For more information and to get episodes delivered to your phone automatically, visit christianpublishingshow.com.